Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 90 of the show, and it is an absolutely loaded episode for you. There is a ton to get into. Uh, we actually have the PGA Tour starting their regular season back up after a two-week break. We'll get into that. Uh, since the last episode, the both the college football world and the NFL uh, have gotten underway, so we'll talk about some news from that. Of course, uh, Major League Baseball standings update to look forward to and just an absolutely massive Around the Island segment with tons of information that is uh, certainly not something that you're going to want to miss. So we're going to jump right into it on the PGA Tour. Uh, in the last episode, a couple weeks ago, we recapped the uh, Tour Championship, which was the final event of the 2021 to 2022 regular season, the playoff event. Well, this week's episode begins the first week of the 2022-2023 calendar season for the PGA Tour. All right, so uh, we have the first event of the year this week, which is uh, the Fortinet Championship. It is held at the Silverado Resort and Spa, the North Course, which is in Napa, California. It's a par 72 distance is 7,123 yards, all right? This is actually, uh, the course itself opened back in 1955, uh, but it was renovated uh, about 10 years ago. This is the seventh playing of the Fortinet Championship here at the Silverado Resort and Spa. And the layout of this course, uh, you got some, a lot of trees, very undulating fairways, and it makes for some challenging greens, all right? So you need some Good, solid um, ball striking to contend here. Um, Now, while this is the first event of the PGA Tour's regular season, this is the final golf event before the President's Cup, which we'll discuss on next week's episode. So this is the final tune-up for the President's Cup. Um, We'll have quite a bit of FedEx Cup flair in this thing. Uh, Of course, FedEx Cup's the United States team versus the international team. The uh, international team representatives in the Fe- uh, in the Presidents Cup that will be playing here at the Fortinet are Hideki Matsuyama, Corey Connors, Taylor Pendrith, and Cam Davis. And the only two U.S. representatives f- that'll be playing this week are Max Homa and Assistant Captain Webb Simpson. All right, so Webb Simpson's going to be an assistant captain next week. Um, so that's this weekend's tournament. Not a great field. Uh, it's a big week for the rookies on the PGA Tour, all right? So, because uh, that Corn Ferry grads try to uh, keep their tour status for this year, so uh, certainly important for them. Not a not a great field, but uh, this is just basically a warm up event for some of those guys that'll be playing in the Presidents Cup, which we'll talk about next week. All right, so um, 
it's good to have golf back. I mean, it was only a two-week break, but um, you know, it's it's just good to to be back on the PGA Tour. We'll have weekly recaps and previews and stuff that we've been doing. So, uh, but you don't want to miss next week's PGA Tour preview of the Presidents Cup. That's uh, that's going to be fun and exciting to watch. But we'll move on to the NCAA and do some college football talk. Uh, we are now two weeks into the college football regular season. It has been absolutely chaotic. Uh, we didn't have an episode last week, uh, but there were some really good games that first week, uh, including Georgia's absolute beatdown of Oregon. Uh, just very surprising on the Oregon side of things. I mean, there there were several really good games, but we saw more chaos ensue in week two and uh, we actually had three top 10 teams that lost on Saturday night this past week Uh, number six then ranked number six Texas A&M lost to Appalachian State number eight Notre Dame uh, lost to Marshall both of those games were at home and then number nine Baylor went up to Provo to play number 21 BYU and BYU ended up winning that game. So three top 10 teams lost this past weekend, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, and then the best game of the week by far was the Texas Alabama game that was here in Austin. And that featured my Texas Longhorns who were a 20 and a half point underdog at home and uh, they came in and all they did was give Alabama an absolute dose and Alabama you know took a, a lot of penalties and didn't look that great a uh, very sloppy game for Alabama but Texas had the lead a 1 point lead or actually it was a 2 point lead Texas had a 2 point lead with a minute 29 left then Alabama Bryce Young they went to work drove down the field and ended up kicking a field goal to win uh, by a point. So that was uh, 20 to 19, I believe, was the final. So uh, just a very, um, very intense game. Texas has looked very good. It, they lost and actually climbed up into the top 25, which we'll get to here in a second. Uh, but Texas definitely put the college football world on notice that they are uh, definitely not a team you want to mess with. <clears throat> but We'll just, um, we didn't have a, an episode last week, so we're going to do, uh, the way we'll do it each week is we'll do a AP Top 25 Rankings Update, Associated Press Top 25, uh, and we'll count down uh, from 25 down to 1, and that um, that way we'll, we'll end with a top team. Uh, the number 25 is the Oregon Ducks. They're 1-1. One and one. Uh, they actually climbed back into the top 25. They had fallen from number 11 all the way out of the top 25 after their week one beatdown at the hands of Georgia. So uh, they finally climbed back into the top 25. Number 24 is Texas A&M. They dropped 18 spots uh, after their loss to Appalachian State. All right, so they're 1-1. One and one. Number 23 is Pitt. They're also 1-1. One and one. Number 22, Penn State. Uh, they're off to a 2-0 and start. They got a big one this week against Auburn. Should be a very good game. Number 21 is my Texas Longhorns. They're 1-1. One one. Uh, again, we just talked about the Alabama game. Uh, they actually climbed into the top 25 after that loss. Just uh, the eye test would tell you that they are certainly one of the top 25 teams in the country. 
they have a game against uh, UT San Antonio this week, and uh, hopefully uh, Texas is going to be without quarterback Quinn Ewers for the next uh, probably between three and five weeks or so. He's dealt with a clavicle sprain in that game against Alabama, which happened in the first quarter. Very reminiscent of Texas's last game against Alabama in which Colt McCoy got hurt in the national championship game. So uh, that was kind of eerie. But uh, Texas is 21. Number 20 is Ole Miss. Uh, they're 2-0. and Number 19, Wake Forest. They're up four spots. They're also 2-0. and Number 18 is Florida. They're 1-1. One one. Uh, they beat Utah in week one. Uh, ended up losing in week two uh, to Kentucky. So they dropped six spots down to 18. Number 17 is Baylor. Uh, they're 1-1. One one. Of course, they lost. Uh, we just mentioned that to BYU. They're down eight spots. Number 16, North Carolina State. Number 15, Tennessee. Tennessee's up nine spots after their win this past weekend. Uh, number 14 is Utah. They're 1-1. One and one. Uh, They, of course, lost to Florida this the first week and won their second game. Uh, number 13, Miami. They are 2-0. and oh. They got a big game against Texas A&M this weekend. Uh, that'll probably be one of the better games on the slate. So uh, be sure and tune into that one. Number 12 is BYU. They're 2-0, and oh, look very good. They're up nine spots from where they were last week. Uh, they have a date with Oregon. Number 25, Oregon, plays uh, number 12, BYU, this weekend. That'll be another good game. Number 11, Michigan State. They're 2-0, and oh, but they've not played anybody. Uh, they looked really good their first two games, but again, uh, not difficult opponents. They have a good game against Washington this weekend. Number 10 is Arkansas. They're 2-0. and oh. Very impressive win over South Carolina this past week. They look good. Uh, number nine, Kentucky, up 11 spots after their win against Florida. So Kentucky and Arkansas, back-to-back SEC teams there to start the top 10. Uh, number eight, Oklahoma State. They are 2-0, and uh, looking pretty good. Spencer Sanders is having a good year so far. Uh, number seven is USC. They're 2-0, and and they look really, really good. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, they're two top transfers there on the offensive side of the ball. Lincoln Riley, uh, that team, I think that team's probably one of the best th- three or four, maybe five teams in the country um, outside of the top top three as it sits now. So keep an eye on USC because the way that they're, they just uh, demolished Stanford this past weekend, uh, they are really good. Uh, I would not want to try and stop that offense there uh, at SC. Number six is Oklahoma. They had a scare this weekend. Uh, they were losing at uh, or losing early in the game, tied. I think it was tied at halftime, or they were only up um, uh, by a couple points at halftime. It was not pretty for Oklahoma, um, but they got it done. So they're they're up to number six. Number five is Clemson. Uh, they are two and zero. They also look pretty good so far. Number four is Michigan. Uh, they're 2-0. and They have not played anybody either. They played Hawaii this past week and um, put up 60 points. So uh, they got a game against UConn. So Michigan's records, you know, it's, it's going to be inflated because they don't play anybody until they get to the Big Ten schedule. Uh, number three is Ohio State. They're 2-0. and uh, Impressive win over Notre Dame in week one. And, uh, 
complete blowout over Arkansas State in week two. So Ohio State's up to three. Alabama is actually number two. They dropped down after their win over Texas, uh, and that's because of how close it was. They needed a last-second field goal to beat Texas. So Alabama drops down to two. And then the top team in the country after week two is the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, They demolished um, Oregon in week one, uh, had another good win uh, in week two, didn't really play anybody. Uh, So they're the top team. They play South Carolina this week. Georgia looks for real. I mean, they lost pretty much every defensive starter they had last year, and damn near all of them went in the first round of the draft, but um, Georgia looks really good. It's it's setting up to be another Georgia-Alabama SEC championship game. But one quick final note. I mentioned uh, that Texas-Alabama game, um, but what I failed to mention is that was the most streamed football game on TV, college or NFL, in Fox history. The game was televised on Fox, and that was the most streamed game between college or NFL in Fox history. That is super impressive. I mean, there's NFL games on Fox every weekend. Same with college football. And nobody uh, watched any of those games more than what they did uh, at Texas and Alabama. So very, very good stuff there. I can't wait till they play in Tuscaloosa next year. Um, Texas will definitely be ready for them then. But uh, that that's college football, AP Top 25 after week two. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and and catch up and see of course every week provides more exciting games more overtime games um so we'll we'll get you caught up uh, on next week's episode how and see how it looks after week three this weekend but we'll move over to the national football league and uh talk about some updates there we have officially closed the books on week one um, with it being just one week i don't know that we need to do a standings update quite yet but uh, we didn't do a preview episode since we didn't have an episode last week. So uh, I'll just go through the divisions and uh, tell you who I think is going to win the division. And then we'll talk about some week one stuff kind of as we go, including some major injury updates already. Um, we'll start off in the AFC. The AFC East, of course, you have Miami Dolphins, Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, and New York Jets. All right. This division, to me, uh, Buffalo is going to win this division. Um, they fell just shy of the Super Bowl last year, uh, losing to Kansas City in that epic playoff game. And then um, did you see what they did in week one uh, against the Rams on Thursday night football? They absolutely pummeled them. The Bills look like the very best team in the NFL, maybe outside of Kansas City. That's going to be a terrific game. Uh, But give me the Bills to win the AFC East. Miami looked pretty good, too. So I I do like Miami to finish second. But uh, Buffalo uh, is is ready to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, The AFC North, of course, you have Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns, and Cincinnati Bengals. Now, out of those teams in week one, only one of them lost, and that was your defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals, all right? The Steelers beat them in a crazy game, back and forth, missed extra point at the end of the game to win it, missed field goal in overtime, two missed field goals in overtime before they finally uh, kicked one to win it. So the Steelers uh, 
you know, they beat the Bengals. Uh, Ravens and Browns also won their game. So Cincinnati is the only team not to win a game. Um, I I personally, I like Cincinnati to win the division. Um, I, I can see Baltimore being a problem for them. But um, I do like, even though they were the only losing team uh, this past week, I do like Cincinnati to win the AFC North. Uh, Pittsburgh's already been hit with the injury bug. Uh, Baltimore, I just don't see them with enough offensive firepower. And then Cleveland, uh, they're not getting Deshaun Watson back until week 12 so or 13. So uh, we'll see about them. But they did win their first game, so give me the Bengals there. AFC South, you have the Houston Texans, Indianapolis Colts, Tennessee Titans, and Jacksonville Jaguars. This one, to me, uh, I like the Indianapolis Colts. They went out and got... Uh, Matt Ryan, who I will mention here, became the second fastest player in NFL history to reach 60,000 career passing yards. He did so in just 223 games. Uh, So I do like the Colts to win the division. Jonathan Taylor's NFL MVP candidate. Um, And then that defense is is pretty rugged. So uh, now interesting thing about the Colts, they actually tied the Houston Texans in their first game. We have a tie in week one, all right? Uh, very weird game. Um, I think there was also a missed field goal in that one that led to the tie. So um, Houston's going to finish in last place. Jacksonville actually looks pretty good. Uh, Their offense with Trevor Lawrence making the jump, Christian Kirk they added in free agency, Travis Etienne is healthy to go with James Robinson. I think Jacksonville, uh, they might win eight or nine games this year. Uh, And then, of course, Tennessee. Tennessee is the biggest threat to Indianapolis, um, but Tennessee lost their first game to the New York Giants. So a very surprising loss there. But give me the Colts to win the AFC South. AFC West, this is the very best division in all of football. Los Angeles Chargers, Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos, and Las Vegas Raiders. This is going to be an absolute slugfest all year long. Uh, Give me the Kansas City Chiefs to win the division. Um, If you saw what they did in week one against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, nothing nothing you watched would tell you that they aren't the best team in that division. Maybe the AFC outside of Buffalo. Uh, The Chiefs are very clearly still an elite team, and they might be better without Tyreek Hill in that lineup. So um, Denver took a surprising loss to Seattle. Uh, The Chargers came out with a win. So that, that division... Um, the division winner in that is going to have 13 wins this year, uh, easy. It's just, that's going to be a slug. We'll get three playoff teams probably from that division. So that's going to be just an absolute uh, bloodbath of a division this year. Over in the NFC, the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington Commanders, New York Giants, and my Dallas Cowboys. Now, uh, you know, I, I would... As the homer in me wants to pick the Dallas Cowboys, however, uh, Dak Prescott broke his right throwing hand thumb, fractured it. He's already had surgery uh, in their week one blowout. Uh, they just did not look good at all. So Dak Prescott's going to miss the next six weeks, uh, which thereby ends the Dallas Cowboys season. So um, I'm not picking the Cowboys to win that. The division is going to be won by the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, ironically enough, Washington and New York both won their first games, meaning that Dallas was the only team to lose a game in that division in week one. 
um, and they did so in just a horrendous fashion, uh, completely anemic on offense, and then they lose Dak Prescott late in the game to a broken thumb. So um, if you wrote down worst possible ways to start a season for Dallas, uh, I think you're looking at it this year. So Philly's gotten much improved. A.J. Brown, just an absolute monster, had like 155 yards receiving. Uh, Give me Philly to win the NFC East. NFC North, Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, Detroit Lions, and Green Bay Packers. Uh, This division has been dominated by Green Bay for a very long time, uh, but that is not the case this year. Uh, To me, the Minnesota Vikings are the best team in the uh, NFC North. Uh, Justin Jefferson is certainly the best wide receiver in football, put up 184 yards on nine catches this past week. Uh, Dude's going to have 2,000 receiving yards this year. Um, He he is just absolutely amazing. Dalvin Cook still, he's healthy. He's still... Uh, running effectively. Uh, Green Bay, probably going to finish second in that division, but Aaron Rodgers was very disappointed in his rookie wide receivers this past week. He just does not have the help that he's used to having. Minnesota beat Green Bay in week one. Uh, Chicago actually had a surprising win over San Francisco, uh, but I I don't trust the Bears. Uh, They just don't have enough weapons offensively to compete with a lot of these other NFC teams. And then the Lions, they look good. Uh, they almost came back on Philly, but, um, yeah, it's the hard knocks effect, right? You want to root for the Lions because they run hard knocks, and it was it was great the way they did it. But And you like to root for Dan Campbell, the coach, but I just don't see the Lions um, competing in this division. NFC South, New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Carolina Panthers, and Atlanta Falcons. Now, this division's kind of a toss-up. Um, the Saints and the Buccaneers both won their first game, while the Panthers and Falcons lost. I think you could have predicted that. Um, I'm going to make a surprising pick. I'm going to say the New Orleans Saints win the NFC South. I know Tom Brady's still on the Buccaneers, but um, I just like what the Saints are doing. Jameis Winston can throw the ball. Um, he, he, he's been prone to a lot of turnovers in his career, but he can he can sling the ball, and he's got three really good receivers to get it to. Uh, and Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and rookie Chris Olave. So uh, I like the Saints to win that division. Uh, they've they've had Tampa Bay's number over the last few years. So yeah, if that's going to be the tiebreaker games, then uh, those two division games against each other, which I think one of them here is in week two, then uh, give me the Saints to win that division. Carolina and Atlanta, um, I don't think Carolina's quite in rebuild mode. I think they're probably right there, but Atlanta certainly is. Um, so neither one of them are going to compete. And then the NFC West, uh, this division is the best division in the NFC. Um, you have the Los Angeles Rams, Arizona Cardinals, San Francisco 49ers, and Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Raise your hand if you had Seattle on your bingo card as the only winner from this division in week one, because nobody, absolutely nobody had Seattle winning their week one game against Denver. But not only that, the other three teams, San Francisco, Arizona, and L.A., all lost their week one matchups. San Francisco lost the ugly game in Chicago in the monsoon, so I can't really fault them on that one. Um, Arizona just got absolutely humiliated and beat down by Kansas City, all right? And then the Los Angeles Rams also got pummeled by Buffalo. So 
Two of the better teams in the NFC got beat by two of the better teams in the AFC. All right, so um, as far as division winners, I still like the Rams. I mean, I you know they're the defending Super Bowl champion. They didn't get worse. I mean, they lost Vaughn Miller, uh, but they added Allen Robinson on offense. Um, I, I don't see how they're worse than they were. But yeah, I I think give me the Rams to win this division. Uh, I think Arizona and San Francisco will be duking it out for that second spot. Um, but Seattle, if Geno Smith plays the way he did on Monday night this past week, then, oh, boy, um, Seattle may actually make a little noise. All right, so uh, that that's kind of how week one went down and my kind of my preview. I think uh, if you're looking for a Super Bowl matchup here, um, I think Buffalo is going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And um, I, I think the Minnesota Vikings are going to make it to the Super Bowl for the NFC. I think it's going to be Bills and Vikings in the Super Bowl. And I, I just think the Bills with Josh Allen, um, I, I think that, that team is going to be too much for Minnesota. So give me Buffalo to be your Super Bowl champions this year. But just some real quick injury news. I know we talked about Dak Prescott for Dallas. That's the biggest one. Uh, the second biggest would be TJ Watt, defensive end from Pittsburgh. Uh, he partially tore his pectoral muscle, but it did not come off the bone, so he does not need surgery. He's probably just going to miss about six weeks or so, which is great news considering the alternative would be season long. Um, so keep an eye on TJ Watt. Uh, San Francisco, they're running back Elijah Mitchell. He sprained his MCL, so he's going to be out for two months. Uh, Philadelphia defensive end Derek Barnett uh, tore his ACL, so he's out for the year. And then this injury happened uh, before uh, week one even came out. It was the last week of practice before week one. Tennessee Titans defensive end or linebacker Harold Landry uh, tore his ACL, so he's out for the year. That's a huge blow to the Titans. Landry had 12 sacks last year, made the Pro Bowl, so to get hurt in practice like that, that's just ugly. And there's plenty more injuries to discuss, but uh, we could do a whole episode on that. Those are just some of the bigger names uh, on injuries that are out for extended periods of time. So we'll check back in with a full standings update uh, in the NFL on next week's episode. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball, and uh, we're going to do a standings update. A lot has changed, obviously, since our last episode, uh, and we're going to change the way we do the standings update. Since we are winding down the season, most teams have played about 142 to 144 games, so there's about 20 games left in the regular season. So there's been a lot of teams that are either eliminated from the playoffs or are just simply not going to make the playoffs just based – on uh, where they're at. We're just going to do a wild card standings update. So I'll go through the three division leaders in each league, uh, plus the teams in contention uh, for the wild card spots. Remember, there's three wild card spots in each league. So we'll do it like that. And of course, we'll have, uh, I'll give you some information kind of as we go. Um, we'll start off in the National League. The top team in the National League at the moment, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they have actually won the National League West already. Uh, did that a couple nights ago. They have the best record in baseball. They're ninety-eight and forty-four. All right, they're uh, twenty-game lead on the San Diego Padres. But 
So the Dodgers are the top team in the uh, National League, followed by the New York Mets. New York Mets are second seed currently at 89 and 55. Uh, they did place starting pitcher Max Scherzer on the 15-day injured list last week, so he should be uh, he should be pretty close to coming back. Right, um, certainly would be back in time for the playoffs, but they need him because they've they've lost three games in a row. So uh, they're they're definitely at a point where they need him. Uh, third place in the National League, the uh, of course the Mets are in the NL East. The NL Central division leaders, St. Louis Cardinals, at eighty four and fifty nine. Uh, Albert Pujols, he hit his six hundred ninety seventh career home run uh, late last week, earlier this week which moved him into fourth place all-time on the home run list, passing Alex Rodriguez. So uh, he's got about 20 games left to get to that 700 mark. Uh, he's already made it clear this is his last year, so uh, hopefully he can hit three more bombs before the end of the year. So those are the division leaders. Uh, your first wild card team uh, at the moment, the Atlanta Braves. All right, They're 88-55. and 55. Um, They have a pretty commanding lead in the wild card race at the moment. Now, they may actually catch the Mets for the division uh, if the Mets aren't careful. But the Braves, uh, they did actually touch first place in the NL East uh, last week, which was the first time all season that they've been in first place. Uh, rookie pitcher, uh, pitcher Spencer Strider, he had a phenomenal outing. Uh, I think it was a week and a half ago. He pitched eight innings. He only allowed two hits, and he had 16 strikeouts. Those 16 strikeouts set an Atlanta Braves franchise record for strikeouts in a game, which is very impressive considering the high-profile pitchers they've had run through that organization like Greg Maddox and John Smoltz. So uh, he's been having a hell of a year. Second wildcard team, about seven and a half games back from the Braves in the wildcard standings, the Philadelphia Phillies. They're 80-62. and 62. Uh, Two weeks ago, they had a game in which all nine of their starters had multiple hits. It was the first time since 1901 that they've done that all right all nine starters having multiple hits Phillies look pretty good uh they have uh, they've won five in a row as it currently sits now they have a two and a half game lead on the third wild card team which is the San Diego Padres at 78 and 65 all right the Padres are kind of hanging on Juan Soto really hasn't been what they've expected him to be uh since the trade deadline uh same with closer Josh Hader has just not really panned out in San Diego. That's that's probably the biggest surprise to me. I, I figured they would be well above 90 wins uh, after the trades that they made, but uh, they're going to be struggling to get 90 wins as it sits now, and they only have a two-game lead. So those are your three wildcard teams, Atlanta, Philly, and San Diego uh, as it sits now. The first team out of the wildcard race, they're two games back of the final wildcard spot. The Milwaukee Brewers, 76 and 67. Um, Christian Yelich, uh, at the time, this was last earlier last week, at the time that he hit this home run, it was the longest of the season. He had a 499-foot home run last week. It was the third longest home run ever recorded in the StatCast era, uh, but that was short-lived. We'll talk about that in a second. So Milwaukee still has a pretty good chance. Uh, they're only two games behind the Padres. Um, you know, they're about eight games behind the Cardinals. So I don't know that Milwaukee is going to catch the Cardinals for the NL Central, uh, but certainly Milwaukee's in play for a wild card. And then that's 
realistically about the only team that can catch the Padres. The San Francisco Giants are 69-74. and 74. They're nine games back of the Padres for that wild card spot. I don't see them making up nine games over the final 20. And then you have Arizona Diamondbacks at 67 and 75. They're 10 and a half games back of the Padres for the final wild card spot. Uh, but pitcher Zach Gallen for the Diamondbacks, he had a streak of 44.1, so 44 and a third consecutive scoreless innings, which set a Diamondbacks franchise record for consecutive scoreless innings. And then the Colorado Rockies are 62 and 81. They're 16 games back. They're not making the playoffs, but I mentioned Christian Yelich's long home run just about two nights after Yelich hit that. Uh, Rockies first baseman C.J. Crone hit a 504-foot home run, which then became the longest home run of the season, five feet longer than Yelich's, and it was the second longest home run ever recorded in the StatCast era. So those that's how the National League's looking. Um, like I said, at this point, with 20 games left, I think Milwaukee is the only team that can realistically catch either the Padres or the Phillies. I just The Giants have to make up nine games uh, in, the, in their last uh, 20 games, so I, I just I don't think that's going to be possible. But um, we'll see. I mean, stay, stay tuned on that. It's definitely uh, that's going to be a tight race there. And then over in the American League, this is where it gets really interesting. Your division leaders, uh, first place currently in the American League is your AL West leading Houston Astros at 93-50. and 50. Uh, They've won eight out of their last ten. Pitcher Framber Valdez threw a complete game shutout um, a few nights ago. It was his third complete game of the season, which is second in the majors behind Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. And uh, it was his 24th consecutive quality start this season, which tied an MLB record. So uh, Astros are certainly going to win the NL West. Um, They are 13 games ahead of the Seattle Mariners. But um, second place in the American League, the New York Yankees. They're 87 and 56. They, too, have won eight out of their last 10, including four in a row. Yankees were in first place in the AL for the longest time uh, before they went on a little slump, but um, I certainly think they just got Nestor Cortez back off of the IL. Uh, Garrett Cole's still there, and, of course, Aaron Judge, he's he's at, uh, I think he's currently sitting at 57 home runs for the season, so uh, he should get over 60 by the time the season's done. Uh, certainly wouldn't want to see that lineup in the playoffs. Third place, of course, and the Yankees are in the American League East. The American League Central leaders at the moment, the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, that's the closest division race um, that we have. They're 76 and 65. Uh, they're only uh, three games in front of the Chicago White Sox, who we'll talk about in a second. But uh, yeah, Cleveland's the, uh, the AL Central leaders at the moment. They've won six games in a row, playing really well at the right time. And then your wild card teams, as it sits now in the American League, the Toronto Blue Jays are the first wild card team at 81 and 62. Uh, they've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, they have a half a game lead on the Seattle Mariners, who are the second wild card team at 80 and 62. Uh, outfielder Julio Rodriguez for the Mariners became the um, third rookie ever in Major League Baseball history to hit 25 home runs and have 25 steals. And it was the first time that a player has done that in their season debut. So 
Uh, Julio's having a great season. One of the main reasons that Seattle is as good as they are. I told you beginning of the season that Seattle was my dark horse pick to win the American League pennant, and uh, that's that's looking like it. You know, has a realistic chance of happening. Third wild card team in the American League is the Tampa Bay Rays at seventy nine and sixty three. All right, they are four games clear uh, of the first place or the first team that's not in the wild card at the moment, which is the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, this is very surprising this year. Baltimore seventy five and sixty seven. All right, like I said, they're four games behind Tampa for that final wild card spot. Um, Baltimore just called up their top prospect, shortstop Gunnar Henderson, and he actually had a home run in his Major League debut. And he joined Trey Mancini as the only Baltimore Orioles to ever hit home runs in their rookie debut. And that happened back in 2016. So um, I, I just, can the Orioles catch the Rays? Yes. Mathematically, four games in a 20-game span is, is not not much. All right, I think it's it's possible. I just don't know that they have enough gas left in the tank to do it. Um, I would be surprised if Baltimore made the playoffs, certainly. Um, they haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. Um, looks like they're going to finish above 500, which uh, for them is, is probably enough of a victory. But uh, the Chicago White Sox are 73-70. and 70, All right, They're two and a half games back of Baltimore, six and a half games back of Tampa Bay for the final wild card spot. So, uh, Chicago needs to do some winning. They certainly have the lineup to do it, uh, the pitching as well. Um, I, I like the, uh, the White Sox. They're, they're actually only three games behind Cleveland uh, for the American League Central. So I think if the White Sox were to make the playoffs, I think the most realistic route for them would be to catch Cleveland and win the AL Central. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't know if they can make up six and a half games over the Tampa Bay Rays here in the final 20. So... But Chicago does have a realistic chance to win their division. And then right behind Chicago um, is the Minnesota Twins at 71-70. and 70. They're seven and a half games back of Tampa Bay, but again, they're only uh, five games back of the Cleveland Guardians. So um, they also have a legitimate chance to uh, win the AL Central. So Keep an eye on the Twins. Uh, I like the White Sox. Out of those three AL Central teams that are uh, real in a tight race right now, I like the White Sox to win it. Uh, I know Cleveland's sitting there right now, but um, I like the White Sox to win that. And those are pretty much the only teams that have a chance. The Boston Red Sox are behind Minnesota at 69-74. and 74. They're 10 and a half games back of Tampa Bay. Uh, I, those two teams are in the same division. I, I don't see the Red Sox. They're not making up 10 and a half games over the final 20. So uh, you can probably close the book on Boston. Now, um, the only other American League note that I have uh, comes via the Los Angeles Angels, who are 61 and 82. They're 18 and a half games out of the wild card. So they're they're certainly not making the playoffs. They've officially clinched. Uh, their seventh consecutive losing season in a row, right? So, uh, but Shohei Otani, uh, he became the first player in Major League Baseball history to have 30 home runs as a hitter and 10 wins as a pitcher in the same season. All right, now Mike Trout, uh, he hit a home run in seven consecutive games, which was one shy of tying the Major League record for eight games in a row with a home run. So, I mean, those two guys are the faces of that team. Uh, but, it, you know, it shows you that two guys don't make up a whole team. So um, while they both have been playing really well, 
this year. Uh, Trout obviously had some some health issues, but uh, those guys are both elite level talents, and um, you know it just it it stinks that they're not going to be in the playoffs. Uh, if if the Angels were fighting for a playoff spot, I think Shohei Otani would be the runaway AL MVP. Uh, I just I don't know that you can give that award to him when his team is you know has a winning percentage just over 400. So, uh, but either way, baseball season's wrapping up. We got uh, about 20 games left uh, in the season, like I said. So uh, certainly, you know, by next episode, we'll, you know, might have some uh, even tighter races. Some of those wild card teams uh, will be more bunched up than they are now. So we'll we'll have to stay tuned and check back in uh, next week to see how the standings have shifted. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports, and it's absolutely loaded this week. Pretty much every major sport uh, we'll talk about here. Uh, we're going to start off in the National Football League. Uh, I didn't mention this injury in the uh, NFL segment, but I, I probably should have. Uh, Seattle Seahawks safety Jamal Adams tore his quad muscle in the Monday night football game against Denver. So he's going to be out for the year. He's set to undergo surgery. Just a tough break for Jamal Adams. Certainly one of the best safeties in the NFL. Uh, just cannot seem to stay healthy. So that's a huge blow to that Seattle defense, who actually looked pretty pretty good the other night. Uh, but some trades that have happened in the NFL, or notable trades uh, since the last episode, Philadelphia Phillies, they traded wide receiver Jalen Rager to the Minnesota Vikings in exchange for a seventh-round pick next year and a fourth-round pick in 2024. Now, this is interesting because Jalen Rager – uh, was a first-round pick three years ago uh, by Philadelphia, and he was actually taken one pick in front of Justin Jefferson. Right now, they get to play together. So the Eagles took Rager over Jefferson. One pick later, Jefferson goes to Minnesota, and now both guys are on the same team. So a pretty interesting turn of events there. Philadelphia also made another trade. Uh, they went out and acquired safety Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from New Orleans, in exchange for a fifth-round pick this year uh, and the worst of Philadelphia's two sixth-round picks in 2024. All right, so that's a great move for that Philadelphia defense. Um, it just further solidifies Philadelphia as probably the top team in the NFC East, especially now with the Dak Prescott injury. Um, so uh, watch out for Philly. And then the uh, other notable trade, Las Vegas Raiders, they traded their corner Trayvon Mullen to the Arizona Cardinals in exchange for a 2023 seventh-round pick, which could become a sixth-round pick depending on performance. Now, that's only notable because Trayvon Mullen was a second-round pick by the Raiders just a few years ago in 2019. So a couple of free agent signings or re-signings that have taken place, mainly re-signings, um, the Denver Broncos, they re-signed quarterback Russell Wilson to a five-year, $245 million contract extension with $165 million of that guaranteed. That $165 guaranteed is the third most guaranteed money behind Deshaun Watson's $230 million guaranteed and Kyler Murray's $189.5 million guaranteed. Okay, just an insane contract. Pretty much ensures Russell Wilson will be a Denver Bronco for the rest of his career. Uh, they're paying him very well. Kind of surprising why uh, they didn't uh, go for it on that fourth down there late in that Monday night game, uh, but uh, it is what it is. 
The Buffalo Bills, they uh, re-signed tight end Dawson Knox to a four-year, $53.6 million extension. He had a breakout year last year, and he certainly got rewarded uh, one of the top earning tight ends uh, with that new contract. Las Vegas Raiders, they also handed out some big money to their tight end, Darren Waller. Three years, $51 million. And with that extension, Darren Waller is now tied to the Raiders for the next five years and $66.25 million. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, they re-signed center Eric McCoy. Five years, 63.75. Uh, I believe he's made a Pro Bowl. Uh, certainly anchors that uh, New Orleans offensive line. Uh, so he is there to stay. And then another offensive lineman, the Indianapolis Colts, all-pro, Pro Bowl, all-world guard, Quentin Nelson, got four years and $80 million uh, as an extension. That's $20 million a year, $60 million guaranteed. Now, he is absolutely the uh, best offensive guard in the league, uh, and there's not really a question about that. So he's probably worth every penny of that to the Colts. Uh, opens up that running game for Jonathan Taylor, so uh, Nelson is getting paid. And the interesting uh, free agent signing that has happened since the last episode, Dallas Cowboys signed veteran offensive tackle Jason Peters to a one-year contract. All right, Peters is 40 years old, but uh, he's made nine Pro Bowls. Uh, he's just, um, you know, been a veteran, uh, great player in the league for a very long time. And they signed Peters after Tyron Smith got hurt. Uh, and this, of course, was before the Dak Prescott injury. So that did bring some hope to Cowboys fans that that would at least help solidify the offensive line. But rookie Tyler Smith played left tackle in week one. Looked pretty dang good, too. So we'll see how long it takes Peters to get on the field. But um, that's the NFL news to get you caught up there. Switching over to the National Hockey League, uh, we had some... Free agent signings, of course, were solidly in the offseason here in the NHL. But some free agent uh, or some contract re-signings. Um, Buffalo uh, Sabres, they re-signed forward Tage Thompson, seven years, $50 million. He's a big uh, power winger, um, just good young young talent. They re-signed him, so that's a pretty big contract for, for him. Dallas Stars, they re-signed goalie Jake Ottinger, three years, $12 million. Uh, that's very important. You saw what he did in the playoffs. Uh, just an absolute monster in the playoffs for the Stars. Really kept them in that series against Calgary. So he makes uh, $4 million a year for the next three years. The Vancouver Canucks, they re-signed forward J.T. Miller. Seven years, $56 million. Now this is interesting because he was a hot name at the trade deadline. as somebody the Canucks were trying to get rid of. But uh, he ends up re-signing now in Vancouver. That should probably finish out his career. Montreal Canadiens, they re-signed forward Kirby Doc, Four years, $13.45 million. He was the number three overall pick a few years ago, and Montreal acquired him back uh, on the night of the first round of the NHL draft. I covered that. And then the Ottawa Senators, they re-signed forward Tim Stutzel. Uh, eight years, $66.8 million. He was the number three overall pick just two years ago in 2020, uh, so he gets rewarded. He's had a great first couple of seasons, uh, fantastic young player. So he gets to spend the next eight years uh, in Ottawa. Uh, some other NHL news, the Montreal Canadiens, they have a new captain, all right? They have named Nick Suzuki their new captain. He is only 23 years old, 
and he is the youngest captain in Montreal Canadiens history, which is very impressive. They are the team with the most Stanley Cups, one of the original six teams, been around for a very long time, had a lot of Hall of Famers go through Montreal, and Nick Suzuki is the youngest captain in franchise history. So interesting note there. And then the final piece of NHL news, uh, the national TV schedule for the 2022-2023 season was released this past week. Uh, and I came across this graphic that listed the number of nationally televised games per team. So the teams that have the most nationally televised games, the Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Rangers, and Minnesota Wild, they all have 15 games on national TV. Then you have a handful of teams uh, at 14 games that are going to be nationally televised. That's Tampa Bay Lightning, St. Louis Blues, Edmonton Oilers, Detroit Red Wings, Colorado Avalanche, Boston Bruins, Chicago Blackhawks, and the Anaheim Ducks. A few surprises in there for sure. Uh, Dallas Stars, they have 13 nationally televised games this year. And then the teams that have the fewest amount of nationally televised games, this is in U.S. market, all right, U.S. television, not not Canadian television, United States television. Uh, The Montreal Canadiens have zero games that are nationally televised. Winnipeg Jets and the Ottawa Senators both have one The Vancouver Canucks have two games, national uh, TV, and then Arizona Coyotes and Calgary Flames have four. So um, I just thought that that graphic was interesting. Um, You know, with we're in midseason, so it's uh, you know it's difficult to come up with some news outside of the the free agent stuff. But uh, I just thought that that was interesting. The discrepancy between some teams having 15 games and one team not having any nationally televised games. Uh, But we'll move over real quick to the NBA. Uh, Massive trade in the NBA that went down, uh, I think it's probably been two weeks now. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they went out and they acquired guard Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz uh, in exchange for Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen, Oche Abaji, three unprotected first-round picks, and two pick swaps. All right, just a massive haul for the Utah Jazz to get rid of Donovan Mitchell. I think the Jazz personally uh, won this trade between Sexton, Markinen, and Abaji. Um, you know, just that's quite the trio to get back for, you know, Sexton will replace Mitchell and come close to his his stats. And then you have Oche, Abaji, and Laurie Markinen to go with it. You also get three first-round picks. So, uh, But that's a good – it also is a good trade for, for Cleveland because now they get to pair Donovan Mitchell with uh, all-star Darius Garland. So that is quite the backcourt there in Cleveland. Um, certainly would look for them to contend in the playoffs. And then the only other notable NBA news I have, the Philadelphia 76ers, they signed center Montrez Harrell to a two-year, $5.2 million deal. Um, of course, NBA is in the offseason as well, so as we get closer to the actual season, we'll uh, probably ramp up the NBA news and whatnot, but uh, that's just some notable stuff that needed to get mentioned uh, in this episode. And then over in Major League Baseball, some big news came out of the MLB this past week. Uh, Major League Baseball's competition committee They voted to implement a few new rule changes that are going to take effect at the start of next season. Um, Those three rule changes, they're going to implement a pitch clock. 
They're going to ban the shift, and they're going to have larger bases. Now, with the pitch clock, uh, pitchers will have 15 seconds in between pitches with empty bases, and they'll have 20 seconds in between pitches with runners on base. All right, so uh, that uh, this is all you know. That's simply to speed up the game. There are a lot of complaints with baseball taking too long and being unwatchable sometimes uh, due to how long it takes. So that is in an effort to speed it up. I certainly am on board with that. The banning of the shift, all right? This is interesting, all right? You can't load up one side of the infield with all four guys for a pull hitter, all right? You must have two infielders on each side of second base, and both of their feet need to be in the dirt, all right, when the pitch uh, is is thrown. So uh, that basically prohibits them from trying to stack it up uh, on one side of the field, trying to open up the field and allow these pull hitters to not hit into a shift. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of mutual on that. Like I, I, I can see both sides, you know, I, I'm not for it or against it per se. Uh, neutral, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, you know, I, I, it is what it is. I mean, the shift is part of the game. You know, it's, it's a strategy. Uh, if you don't like it, hit to the other side of the field where it's wide open. So, um, you know, uh, that one it's that's kind of a moot point um you know whatever on that and then the larger bases i'm not really sure why they're implementing larger bases but um you know it's the bases have been the same size for 100 years why not just leave them alone um but over in college football some huge 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 news in college football all right uh the college football board of managers they have decided to expand the college football playoff to a 12-team playoff. Right now, uh, since its inception a few years ago, it's been a four-team playoff, all right? And we've seen a lot of repeat offenders in there. Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson basically have claimed three of those four spots for the last handful of years, and then Georgia, too, the last couple of years. So um, it, it's very closed off. If you're not an elite, elite program like those four teams, uh, you're not getting into the playoffs. So I think a 12-team playoff would shake it up and allow some lower teams maybe to have an upset in the semifinals. Now, this 12-team uh, this playoff field is going to feature six conference champions and six at-large teams. All right, The four highest-ranked conference champions will all receive first-round buys. And the teams seeded 5 through 12 are going to play each other in uh, the first round, uh, which is going to be the second or third weekend of December. And then the quarterfinals and semifinals will be played in bowl games uh, on a rotating basis like they do with the current playoffs. The championship game is going to be at a neutral site uh, under the current four-team format. All right, so this is all expected to start in 2026, which is four years from now. Um, my honest opinion, I think it'll probably be closer to 2024. I think they'll buy out uh, of the current contract and uh, go to this 12-team playoff sooner than 2026. But stay tuned on that. I think that's great news for college football. Um, it opens it up to a lot more teams. Um, anything can happen once you play the game. Um, games aren't played based on rankings. They're played on the field, right? So, uh, you can certainly have an upset in college football just as easily as you can in every other sport. So um, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. This, I think this is long overdue. I'm tired of seeing the same four teams in the playoffs every year. 
Um, some other college football news, ESPN College Game Day. Uh, if you watched it this past weekend, you noticed that Pat McAfee was on the show as an analyst. He has joined as a full-time member of the show, and he's great. He's he's funny. Uh, he's got his own you know football podcast. Uh, he's been on ESPN a whole bunch. Um, I think he's he's great. Uh, he's a great personality to add to the game day crew. So uh, if you see him uh, every week, that is why. And then some coaching news out of college football. Clemson head coach Dabo Swinney. He agreed to a new 10-year, $115 million contract extension with Clemson. That's $11.5 million per season, which isn't the highest average annual value. It is the largest contract in total money for a college coach ever. So that $115 million is the most ever uh, money given to a, a college coach. And, I mean, you got Swinney, you got Saban, uh, Kirby Smart, Got a huge deal from Georgia. I mean, th- those are your elite-level college coaches right now, probably the top three, and uh, they're certainly paid like it. And then um, bad coaching news out of Nebraska. The Cornhuskers, they fired their head coach, Scott Frost. Uh, he actually is a Nebraska alum. This was his uh, third season, I believe, uh, in Lincoln, he went 16-31 and 31 in his tenure as head coach. That is not acceptable for Nebraska. And his firing uh, came this past week after Nebraska lost 45-42 to 42 to Georgia Southern. All right? You just can't have a Big Ten program with the history of Nebraska lose to Georgia Southern. So that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, Scott Frost is out at Nebraska. But uh, moving over to the PGA Tour, uh, this is where we'll wrap up this segment. Uh, I mentioned this on the last episode, but there were six more golfers who left the PGA Tour uh, to head over to the Live Golf Tour, all right? And those six, some big names, that's why I'm mentioning this. Cameron Smith, number three ranked player in the world, just won the Open Championship at St. Andrews. Uh, He jettisoned over to the Live Golf Tour. Joaquin Neiman, number 19 in the world rankings, he uh, moved over. Uh, Harold Varner III, Cameron Tringali, Mark Leishman, and Anirban Lahiri. All right. Um, Several of those guys uh, won an event this past year on the PGA Tour. Uh, Joaquin Neiman won the Genesis Open. I mentioned Cameron Smith won the Open. That is uh, some pretty heavy, heavy names in there that are leaving for. Uh, the Live Golf Tour. So um, just, and I read something else this past week that uh, Live Golf is expected to award $50 million in prize money for their championship event coming up here soon. So uh, the money is just preposterous there on the Live Golf Tour. But, um, you know, uh, I I don't blame the guys for jumping over, but, um, you know, the the prestige and, and your major championships and all that stuff, um, you know, is not something you're going to have on Live Golf. And um, Greg Norman, who's the the basically the CEO for the Live Golf Tour chairman, he's already come out and said that he has no intentions of forming any kind of uh, alliance with the PGA Tour. So um, he's going to keep his entity separate, and he's going to keep attracting big name golfers. And that's just kind of how he plans on operating. Um, we talked about the PGA Tour offering more money this year and prize money to try and keep some of their 
big name guys. Of course, Rory's Rory McIlroy's been very vocal about staying on the PGA Tour, uh, and that's where the true golf is. So, um, this PGA Tour LIV Tour is going to be uh, quite the spectacle, the the rivalry here this this upcoming year. So. Um, definitely stay tuned on that. But uh, that's going to wrap up the 90th episode of Sports Island. Certainly was a, a busy episode, lots to get into, lots of updates. Uh, we're certainly going to try and get an episode out next week as well. We've got a President's Cup that we'll need to preview on, in, in golf and uh, talk about another wild week in the NFL and, and NCAA football. So uh, lots of sports on, um, you know, Saturday college football, Sunday NFL. Of course, baseball season's winding down. And uh, we do have our first PGA Tour event of the season this weekend as well. So uh, lots to get into on next week's episode. And uh, until then, just stay safe and be well. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.